0: Our scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 42, page 602 in your Bible. Starting a new series, uh, an Advent series called "Waiting for the Servant Savior." Isaiah chapter 42, starting at verse 1: "Behold, my servant, whom I uphold; my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him; he will bring forth justice to the nations." He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench until he faithfully brings forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold the former things that have come to pass, and new things that I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Over the next four weeks, in preparation for Christmas, we'll look at selected passages from the book of Isaiah, a book written In the late 8th century, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And there, we will see that this Jesus, God's servant Savior, has truly been long-awaited. And what Isaiah saw only in visions, we, from our perspective, get to see in history. And so we begin here with Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, where God holds up this long-foretold servant. And two things this passage calls us to do. First, to look, and second, to listen. Notice verse 1. First, look. Behold God's servant. Verse 1 says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold. See, God wants us to examine, to behold, to gaze upon, and to let our gaze linger upon this one servant, to be captivated by him, that as we fix our eyes on this servant, we learn that he is delightfully chosen. Notice verse 1b, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. This servant pleases God to his very soul. God delights in him like a father who delights in a son. It's his pride and joy. God holds up the servant for all to behold. He wants us to look and see and stand with our jaws dropped open in amazement. Why does God delight in this servant so much? We see because... He will bring forth justice to the nations. That's what makes this particular servant so amazing. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. He will succeed where all others have failed. He will establish justice. Justice. And he will do it not simply for one nation or one people group like Israel, but he will bring it to the nations. In fact, every nation. And his ability... To establish justice is repeated all through this text. Did you see it? It's in verse 1 at the very end. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Then again in verse 3. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Then in verse 4. Till he has established justice on the earth. See, God has delightfully chosen this servant to establish justice on the earth. Justice. Justice for an unjust world, not just for Israel, but for the nations. Imagine that. Justice. All that is wrong in the world made right. Every crooked thing set straight. Justice. Victims vindicated. The wicked stopped. The defiled cleansed. The broken restored. My imagination runs wild as I consider what will life be like when this chosen servant accomplishes his mission. See, no wonder God delights in him, and no wonder God directs our attention toward him, to behold him, to have our gaze linger upon him, to be captivated by him. But what is equally wonderful to behold is how he will establish justice. Look at the text, and it tells us how he will bring justice. He'll bring it quietly, perfectly, and confidently. Look at it, verse 2. He'll bring it quietly, he will not cry aloud, or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. We often expect justice to arrive at the sound of sirens when the guilty are hauled off publicly with their head hanging in shame. But notice this servant will not cry aloud or lift his voice in the street. He'll not hold a rally to fire up those who seek justice. His coming will be barely noticed. Not a sound in the streets. He'll sneak up on us. In fact, it seems that his approach is with the deftness of of like a secret agent carefully tiptoeing so that his enemies aren't tipped off and escape the justice that he's bringing. This is how we can make sense of verse 3. Notice, a bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will bring justice forth. He won't break a bruised reed for the same reason A member of SEAL Team 6 won't carelessly step on a twig and snap it. This is a stealthy operation. On his approach, he won't give away his position, and when he advances against his enemies, not even the air around him will be stirred, that even a faintly burning wick would blow out. Why does this servant of justice take such an approach? Well, wickedness does not play fair, does it? It hides. It cheats. It lies. And so if this servant of justice is going to capture the wicked and bring them to justice, he must approach quietly. Stealth is absolutely necessary. It's absolutely necessary to his mission. So in order to establish justice, this servant of God comes, not with sirens blaring or lights flashing, but he comes quietly. As quietly as a sleeping baby. But he doesn't just establish justice quietly. Notice he upholds it perfectly, exactly. How do we see that in the text? Well, to see it, we must accept the inherent beauty and uncertainty of poetry. See, poetry, it's different than narrative. It's different than legal documents or letters. And this section of Isaiah has the earmarks of Hebrew poetry. And in poetry, it it isn't always easy to discern what is allegorical and what is actual. And because of this, it's hard to know if the writer had only one interpretation in mind or if he purposely allows for layers of interpretation. How so? Well, take a pun, for example. Puns are poignant. Why? Because they indicate at least two layers of interpretation. They're humorous because they contain two levels of meaning. And the same may be true of this text. And so as we try to make sense of it, we need to ask, is the bruised reed and the burning wick an actual reed and an actual wick? And if so, it simply illustrates the carefulness of the servant's quiet approach, which I already mentioned, that he sneaks up on the wicked in order to shed light on their wickedness before they can cover it. And thus he's able to establish justice. However, maybe the bruised reed and the faintly burning wick are not literal objects but metaphors and if metaphors then we must ask well what is the reed and the wick a metaphor of? If the bruised reed and faintly burning wick is a metaphor for the victims of injustice then it would mean that the servant of justice brings justice gently even sympathetically to those who have been injured. Bruised reeds, like bruised people, break easily. And so when this servant of justice arrives, he's very careful not to further damage the victim while bringing the perpetrator to justice. What an amazing servant of justice is that. If the bruised reed is a metaphor not for the victim but for the perpetrator who has injured others or by extension injured themselves, then it could mean that his justice is exact, that it's perfect. It's never cruel. He goes just as far as justice demands but never further. He is loving and true, not vindictive. And so a bruised reed, well, it's just that. It's bruised, not dead. And a faintly burning wick still flickers with some light. And so this servant of justice will not douse the light simply because it's flickering and not a burning light like it should be. No, his justice, while perfect, is not devoid of mercy and gentleness. See, that's the beautiful yet limiting nature of poetry. We're not quite sure what Isaiah means. Poetry is limiting in that it's not absolutely clear, like a legal document. It leaves us open to various interpretations. It could mean either, that the servant brings justice quietly and perfectly. Most likely, I think it means both. Because poetry captures what other genres cannot. And lovers know this best, don't you? When you're in love, what do you do? You write poetry. When you want someone to behold beauty, what do you do? You write poetry. When you want someone to be captivated, what do you do? You write poetry. And so Isaiah writes poetry because he wants us to behold God's servant of justice, that he doesn't just come quietly. That he comes sympathetically and gently. And the justice he brings is perfect. And as we gaze upon him, we can be captured. And moved to wonder. Lastly, he not just brings justice quietly and perfectly. He brings it confidently. Look at verse 4. As he brings justice, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on earth and the coastlands wait for his law. See, the difficult thing about fighting injustice is it's exhausting. It wears you out. It wears you to the bone. But this servant doesn't grow faint or discouraged. Though the fight is long and hard, he remains confident Though justice takes time, he will work until it is established in all the earth, till the coastlands, which would have been the furthest part of the known world to Isaiah, till the furthest regions that are waiting for this justice are reached by this justice, and it is established. So behold the servant, delightfully chosen by God to establish justice on the earth, quietly, perfectly, and confidently, never tiring until it is fully realized. That's my application. Behold this servant that Isaiah prophesied about in this poetry. As God's prophet, he knew that what he spoke about was true, even when he could not make as much sense of it as we can. He could discern the shape of this servant, like a shadow that's cast on a ground. But, but we have seen the servant face to face, and we have beheld him. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the real servant that brings justice quietly. Jesus doesn't put on a show and make brash promises. He came humbly, and he delivers on his promises. He comes as a baby, born to the poor Jewish couple in a cattle stall on a silent night. He lives in an obscure village called Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? He works as a carpenter. He teaches as a migrant rabbi, and he assembles a bunch of of local merchants, and even a repentant tax collector to be his first followers and representatives. For years during his ministry, he enters Jerusalem secretively. All his disciples are saying, you should make a show of it. But he does the majority of his miracles in the pasture lands of Galilee where he speaks of justice. And whenever he speaks of justice, he speaks of pure justice that shines light not merely on the actions of people, but on their hearts and their attitudes. See, Jesus is the real servant who brings justice quietly. Jesus is the real servant who brings justice perfectly. Victims of sin find healing. Their shame is covered. And as he deals with their perpetrators, he is tender and true to the victim. He rescues victims without further bruising them. And as for perpetrators, perpetrators are never dealt with more harshly than they deserve. And in fact, even perpetrators have reason to hope because somehow the work of this servant of justice will both establish justice for victims while at the same time showing mercy and justifying perpetrators. See, his mercy is for sinners. And his mercy for sinners doesn't undermine justice, but it establishes justice on earth because his mercy transforms sinners and perpetrators. Forgiven sinners whose heart have been melted by the mercy Of this servant, begin to seek that which is good, right, and true. And they make recompense out of gratitude for the mercy that they have received. What a servant of justice! That he can do that? And lastly, Jesus, the real servant, brings justice confidently. He won't let despair win, he never did. He faced despair from beginning to end. And he faced it down at its source. And this servant of justice will descend into the depths. He will endure absolute darkness. He'll even go to the grave if he must in order to defeat it. And he did. And he will reign victorious in justice, mercy, and truth. And so this Christmas, as you prepare for Jesus' birth, behold him as the delightfully chosen, Servant of God, given to us to establish justice on the earth, quietly, perfectly, confidently, never tiring until it is fully realized. Do you know that he's not just a baby in a manger? He's the servant who is setting the world right through his teachings, through his living, through his dying, through his resurrection. He is changing the world one life at a time. And as far as his redeemed people are found, they are becoming instruments in his plan of redemption on earth. And they, following his path, they too are called to bring justice, quietly, justly or perfectly, and with confidence, never despairing, but fighting to the end. And then, let me close quickly, with just a couple thoughts on listening. We looked and we beheld, that's the main part, but listen, listen to this servant's charge in verses five through eight. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and earth and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. He's talking to his servant. I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. And I declare them before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Notice who gives this charge. This is God, the Lord who created heaven and earth. That is his name, his personal name, Lord, Yahweh. And this servant of justice, Jesus, is not being charged by just anyone or just by any god. The gods of the surrounding nations are mere human constructs. Idols that reflect the nature of mankind. And like mankind, these gods, like Baal, were fickle. And they were as fickle as they were frail. And their volatility was only matched by their impotence. But this servant of justice is charged by Yahweh, the God who made man in his image, not the one who man make in their image. He is not fickle. He is faithful. He is not frail. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And he does not need to be cajoled to act. He is the initiating agent. He is the acting agent. He takes initiative to send his servant of justice as a covenant for his people, as a light for the nations who opens the eyes that are blind and liberates those imprisoned in darkness. These are new things to behold indeed. The one true God, being a God of real power and faithfulness and initiating love, is announcing what he is going to do through his servant. And he did it 800 years ago. This is what we celebrate this Christmas. We celebrate a God who was true to his promise, who sent his servant, And we celebrate a servant, we behold him who accomplished what he was sent to do. This is the God we worship this Christmas. Let us behold him. Let us pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus, your servant of justice, who comes as a covenant for his people, a light for the nations, who opens the eyes that are blind, who liberates those who are imprisoned. Thank you that you are a God who directs history. You had this all planned out 800 years ago. And Lord, what Isaiah could only imagine, we get to behold. We see this servant the servant of justice who brings his justice gently and quietly so as not to further damage victims, who brings it perfectly and exactly so that perpetrators can have hope for mercy, and who brings it confidently that will fight to the end until justice is established on the earth. God, we pray that you would bring that glorious fulfillment soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.